Uh, I need a volunteer who, who thinks that they can just do this. This is all, you know, all they got to do is put the, put the, forget it now, forget it now, you ain't going to make that happen. Hallelujah. All you got to do is put the paper in the bucket. Come on, somebody, I need, I need you quick. All you got to do is put the paper in the bucket. Come on up. All right. Oh, Ron. Ron is like the consummate uh, uh, competitor. So when he saw that happen, Ron. My wife, uh, my wife raised my hand. <laughs> we do this not for that. There you go. Oh, no, no, no. It's got, you know, you got to put, you can do it whatever way you want. Actually, that was very good, Ron. So I'm going to save this piece and I'm going uh, oh, to go ahead and give three, you three chances. Three chances? And, and you can do it any way you want. Any way you want. Any way I want. You can do it any way. I mean, I did, I did what I did. You know, I mean, what, what am I going to say? But you can do it any way you want. Oh. Okay. All right. It's on. Okay. Here we go. Because that's, I don't know, that seems kind of easy. <laughs> Give it a shot. Oh, the hook shot. That's not bad. Oh, now I better do it the easy way. Yeah, okay, here we go. Oh! Hey, hey Ron, I'm going to do it one more time just to show you. You ready? No, I'll use, a, I'll use a fresh piece of paper. I'll use a fresh piece of paper. Here we go. There you go. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Actually, that worked out a lot better than I thought it would. This morning, turning your Bibles to Acts 15, and we are talking about conflict. My goodness, why do that two weeks in a row? Well, because Luke wrote it that way, and, uh, and so we're going to look at it that way. But last week, what we looked at in Scripture was fascinating because it was, it was on a corporate level, all right? It was the whole church. It was the determination of how the entire church would face things. Now, Luke decided to include personal conflict. And what I'd love for all of us to do is think about that individual that we just cannot partner with. We can't partner with this one particular person. Do not match me up with this person to do anything. Right? Have you ever run it? Now, don't. The rhetorical question. I'm sure that's not the case here at CBC. But I just want you to think about it. That one person that maybe, it, for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. So we're going to look at this crazy <coughs> story that is often perceived as a blight on the church and a blight on church leadership. It is... The church fight, I don't know how you include those words, but it's the church fight between Paul and Barnabas. So it's verse 36 through 41. Let's give the context. Again, the church is blossoming. It's growing. Paul and Barnabas have returned from their first missionary journey. Huge success. They get back, and there's a lot of controversy as to the new Gentiles that are coming into faith. And there is a battle royale going on on a doctrinal level between different factions of church leadership. 
So they gather for what's called the Jerusalem Council, and they figure it out, and that's the first part of 15. Great understanding of how your churches have to deal with doctrine and what is under heaven, not man's perspective. That is what we strive for here at CBC. Not our own personal agenda, but let's live under God's economy, how God determines it, and then we should be much better for it, right? So fascinatingly enough, Luke says, I'm not done explaining church conflict because many of you may not be on a leadership team. Many of you just might be doing ministry, right? And sometimes ministry gets messy. And churches are filled with, and probably this one as well, churches are filled with people that got burned in ministry burned by other believers. And here's part of the sad realization of that. Churches are often empty because individuals get burned in ministry. And so they look at the result and where their heart is, where their emotions are, where the scars are. And they simply say, that's not what I thought ministry was going to be about. When I have new um, directors of ministry come on or, or um, new staff come on, I always talk about the disillusionment of seeing behind the curtain of Oz, right? You have this idea that, oh, I'm going to work at a church. It's going to be so great. And I can understand that with me being the pastor, why you would think that. <laughs> but after one day of being here on my staff, there is so much disillusionment. Here's the, the, the crazy part. Look at this statement. God has chosen the fallible as stewards of the non-fallible. Let me make that very simple for you to understand. God chose idiots. There's the doctrinal term for it, the Greek. God chose idiots to be stewards, to take care of, to administrate, to, to handle his most precious, the gospel, his creation. And this is something I wrestle with all the time, the tension of it. I never would do this. I have trust issues. We're going to talk about this Facebook survey that everybody's taking, right? It, it, it's a lot like Strength Finders. Bob Huffman does Strength Finders, and, and some of you have done that. And so it tells you all this stuff about, you know, you, you have this, you strong score in this, and then you're like, don't ever do this because you, you shouldn't be doing it. And, and it's just fascinating to see how much people are interested in hearing. You know, well, well how do I fit? What's my makeup? What's my composite? Do you know Scripture talks about that? And we're going to get into it today. And that is at the root of Paul and Barnabas' problem. My goal today is to bring to light the reality that this happens. Pull back that curtain of Oz. And help us understand that God chose the fallible, the weak, the broken to be stewards of the non-fallible. Now, bad design or brilliant discipleship? What will you take away from all of this today? So let's get in and, and, and read the passage and, and let's kind of move through it. So it's the very end, verse 36, and we're going to read through 41. 
And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. That's, uh, that's a nice way of saying, yeah, they were throwing down. All right? There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. What? That doesn't happen when people love God. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So let's look at what's actually going on here. The first point today is the plenary work of missions. Uh, You have a great opportunity coming up March 11th. Shelby Parkinson is one of our supportive missionaries. She's home right now. Wave your hand, Shelby. There she is. She's over there on the, on the sunny side of the room. She's doing a major presentation. Come be part of this on March 11th. Hear all about what Shelby has learned through her, her adventures, her travels. Find out who she fought with and separated from. And, uh, and, and enjoy the evening. You'll see more about that in the bulletin coming up March 11th. Shameless plug. There's three points here that I want to bring out from the passage about the plenary work of missions. We think plenary is just a fancy word for a, a wide scope, the entire thing. Many of us might think that the, the total scope of missions is to preach. So what happened when Paul and Barnabas went through that first missionary journey? They preached, and many came to faith, didn't they? Now, we are about three years since they've been out on the field. Shelby, are you jonesing to get back out there? How long has it been? Three months. And yet God had his number one missions team basing out of the church in Antioch or Jerusalem. I'm not, in my studies I couldn't figure it out for sure. I think it's Antioch. For three years. That is a wicked long home assignment. A lot of mission boards would be saying, hey guys, you know, what's, what's wrong? So that's exactly what happens here. Is it yes, Paul says, I am an apostle called to what? To preach. He understood his calling. That's one of the things that we need to understand about ministry. What is your calling? And we'll get into that a little bit later here in the message. So number one, he understood that their, their role was to preach. They did that, but they've been sitting home for three years now. And there's a stirring that's been going on in Paul's heart for quite a while. And the stirring is revealed here as he speaks about it. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word, right? He preached. Where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, what does that mean, see how they are? See how their kids are. See if their goat flock has increased. You know, see if that, that city council project was going well. This is talking about a spiritual equipping. It's talking about growing. How do we know that? It's implied here, but when you look at what Paul does, 
not only when he goes out now, but in many other instances, this is exactly what Paul is doing. So let's look at some scripture. Turn to Titus 1.5. This speaks to one of our E's that's up behind me. And it's this idea of equipping. It is so desperately important that we preach. That we take the good news to those around us that need to know that good news. That's where we start. But what Paul is saying is even for these guys that were the first professional missionaries, it wasn't enough. They needed to go back and see how they were growing. How is the church growing? They wanted to equip the church. These things go hand in hand. To preach, to plant. To plant is the next point. So Titus 1.5, it's towards the end of Paul's um, ministry. And he gives this instruction to Titus, a disciple of his, who he's left in Crete, okay? And he says, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. You've got to be wondering, because Crete is horrible. The Chamber of Commerce of Crete has been trying for millennia to get anybody to visit them. It's not such a nice place, right? So you've got to imagine Titus is sitting here. Did I, draw, did I draw the short straw on this one? You know, uh, Luke, um, Epaphras, those guys are over in Ephesians or Ephesus. You know, they got everything over there. They got running water, right? I'm over here in Crete. And so you could just imagine, Titus, you ever done that in ministry? Really? You know, that guy gets to run the soundboard, but I'm changing diapers in the nursery? Really? We're going to nickname our nursery Crete. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Oh, this is so brutal. Let's get back to the Scripture. That's how I bail myself out. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul has this insatiable desire to see the fruit from the conversion. The results of preaching is where you start. But Paul said it's not enough. We have to equip, put into order that which was started. We've got to plant. The other is to prepare. And I love alliteration, so you know. So again, don't forget, what are we talking about? We're talking about two missionaries, highly successful, and they've been sitting around home for three years. And Paul starts itching. He says, we've got to get back out there. there there's, no, there's no Skype there's no FaceTime. I don't know how they're doing. And it's not like we left them in a really friendly environment. We've got to get back to those churches, the people we had relationship, the people we loved. We've got to do face-to-face. And we need to equip them so that they don't fall when we're not there. And so the last point I want to give to you is you have to prepare the people. You have to prepare them to be the next leaders, the next deacons, the the next um, uh, administrators, the next servants, the next missionaries. And so Paul says this in Colossians 1. And turn there if you want. I'm going to go there real quickly. This is our key verse under equipping here at CBC and why we think it's so important. We had a great class this morning, 18 people over in a beautiful, nice, warm uh, fireside room. 
and George teaching on his birthday. Fantastic. George, what is it, 38? 35, something like that. 72. And he's still teaching, folks. And he stood the entire time. Congratulations, 72, and you're still standing, George. So ministry can be messy. It can be very, very messy. But look, you have to have a goal. You have to understand what you're doing. And Paul understood this. And so he sees some. There's a component missing. He says, we've got to get back out there, Barnabas. They're, they're struggling. And who knows what had come back as reports. But look at Paul when he's talking and he leaves this letter to, to uh, those in, in Colossae or Colossae, however you want to say it. To them, God chose to make, the no, make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? He's talking about the gospel reaching and changing the lives of the Gentiles. So here we go. Him we proclaim, there's your preaching, right? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Planting. Planting. That's part of missions. For this I toil, struggling with all His, God's energy, that He powerfully works within me. You have to prepare for ministry. He didn't say that it was through His power. He said it was through God's power. When you're doing ministry, you have to operate in God's power because ministry is messy. So Paul says to Barnabas, and let's go to the next point. Paul says to Barnabas, it's time to get going. It's time to get going. Shelby's going to tell you on March 11th, it's time to get going, folks. You better say that because I just said you were going to say it. <laughs> Let me say this. If we stop fulfilling our calling, we get lazy and dissatisfied. What is your calling? For some of you, you're very aware of that. For some of you, you're like, I, I never heard about a calling that God gives to people. Well, then we need to explore that. We need to look into that. And we're going we're gonna to look deeper for each person. Part of what we'll talk about in our membership class over the next couple weeks uh, when we get to the end. How can you get plugged in? Well, a lot of that has to do with how God has gifted you. What is God calling you to? I remember my effectual calling, very specific. It doesn't always happen this way for individuals. But I got involved in youth ministry, not because God called me, but because someone had a huge impact in my life. And it changed me drastically. And we have this common statement in our society today, pay it what? Pay it forward. But nobody says fulfill your calling, <laughs> right? That's Christianese for pay it forward. And so I got involved in it and I volunteered for, for two, three years. I volunteered on a youth staff of a huge church. And New Year's Eve, 1988, I remember it distinctly. We were all celebrating up at um, a, a youth camp up in Santa, the San Bernardino Mountains. And I, I got to share Christ with someone on New Year's Eve. And that individual came to me with their heart wide open, struggling because of things going on in their life. And I got to share just the gospel, just the love of Christ. And the light went on for this, for this young man. And that wasn't the first time that that had happened, but there was something unique about it. So I walked out into the snow and I walked into this playground 
I'm sitting on this swing in the snow under, under a moonlit sky at 1 a.m. in the morning. And I just had a conversation with God, and He called me to a life of ministry. What that was going to look like, I didn't know for sure. But that's where it started for me. Or the volunteering is where it started. And then as I proceeded through, then God gave me some clarity. So this morning as we look at this idea of it's time to get going, part of the challenge is we have to know our calling. If we stop fulfilling our calling, we get lazy and dissatisfied. Are you lazy in your spirituality? Let me ask you, if you are, evaluate yourself on that level and you're dissatisfied, what are you doing to what God has called you to and how God has gifted you? Maybe get the heart and the conviction, the passion Paul's talking about. We got to get going. We got to get going. But beware, ministry is messy. So they've been home for three years. Paul says, we got to get out there. He's hungry to reconnect. Paul regards his calling. He needs to leave. He needs to be sent. He talks about this in another letter, and you see how I'm going to all these epistles, all these letters, right, that he writes throughout the history of his ministry. He talks to the Roman church, and he says, how will anybody hear unless people are sent? How will anybody know the gospel unless people speak? And how will anybody speak unless they are commissioned and sent out? Does that sound like Paul's world? Absolutely. And there's something about that that's, that's desperately important to understand. We have to get going. I irritate people with my call to evangelism. If there's a number one way, there's two things. If there's somebody on the basketball court that I don't want there at any particular point in time, I just walk out and start talking about Jesus. They leave immediately. <laughs> if somebody comes to your doorstep and wants to sell you solar panels, just start talking about Jesus. And either you get a convert, you know, someone come to the Lord, or uh, they'll walk away and leave you alone. So, I'm just kidding. Hopefully you know I'm kidding. That's my spiritual gift of sarcasm. But what does not work well is when I talk to the church about evangelism. People come up with the most beautiful excuses. And the reality is simply this. We have grown comfortable with not answering the calling that God has asked us to. Now I'm going to take a left turn here, and I'm going to hit hard. I'm okay with that. Paul faced the same. Every pastor faces the same. Every evangelist faces the same. Those challenges. We had a horrific situation happen this past week in our nation. Can I share with you what truly is important? There are many things that are important. But there are 17 people that if they didn't know Christ, it's over. And we keep making excuses as to why we don't share the gospel. We want to talk about gun control. We want to talk about mental health. We want to get caught up in all of those things. Folks, this is a spiritual problem. And part of it is church isn't getting going on any of this. We do a great job at meeting for Bible studies. We do a great job for meeting for some outreach things, but when the opportunity presents itself to share the love of Christ, so often we are silent out of fear. And I get it. The fear is real. Paul understood the fear, and that's where we're going next. Here's where the challenge happens. 
So, and by the way, you know, when I, when I challenge people about evangelism, you know, I get all these excuses and stuff. And, you know, I could just hear Paul or Barnabas dealing with this, and, and maybe they're, you know, they are going to deal with this with Mark, John Mark. And sometimes, sometimes excuses come in the form of, like, like rhetoric. Sometimes they come as just flat out in your face, right? I can see, you know, that happening in biblical times, and, you know, it comes out like, may a camel blow out their hoof on the I-18, or, you know, may your falafel be rancid, you know? We, we, we find things to get bent about that are antithetical to our calling. So where does that lead us next? Well, Paul and Barnabas, that sounds great. We got to get going. I agree, Paul, let's get going. And let's bring John Mark. No, let's not. Yeah, we should. No, we shouldn't. They have a strong disagreement. Why? So in this idea of what we hear, we got three people. We've got Paul, who became the lead preacher. We've got Barnabas. These guys were, were together, a team. And they brought Barnabas's nephew along with them. Halfway through that first missionary journey, if you remember uh, um, Acts 13, Barnabas leaves him. We don't know why Barnabas left. There may have been a problem back home. Here's what is implied, and I, I have a little bit of a challenge with this. Here's what's implied, that he got scared. You see, they faced a certain amount of persecution when they went through Crete. But where they're heading... The entire team knew it was going to be worse, and it was worse. As a matter of fact, what happened, Paul was, was, they attempted to kill Paul. They thought they actually did by stoning him. That's how bad it got. So there's an implication that Paul does not want to have anything to do on this second missionary journey of bringing John Mark along because he's not what? He's not worthy. He bailed on us. You ever been there in ministry? You failed to show up. You're not faithful. The church does a great job of this, right? I mean, I'm the one that told you, you know, great servants in ministry are, are fat, right? I know that's not politically okay. But they're faithful, they're available, and they're teachable, right? We have all these little tricks of the trade that we do, right? And so, have you ever failed to show up on time to something? Or you just didn't show up to do your children's ministry class. You didn't call anybody. And so not to get political, but, you know, you're fired. <laughs> right? That's kind of what Paul's doing. He blew it. Why would you want him on the team? And so other, other scholars want to say, well, okay, so there's nepotism. You know, Barnum is saying, because he's, he's family, man. Cut him some slack. There's a rub, there's a tension here when we get into ministry that ministry, because God's designed it this way, He asks us to be the ambassadors of ministry. He gifts us to be the ones that carry out His ministry. He gives the fallible, those that fail all the time, the responsibility to carry the precious message, which is infallible. And we get damaged all the time by the fallible, don't we? And so Paul's damaged. And here's what I think may have been running through Paul's mind. Yeah, right when it got tough, by the way, I get to speak because I was killed. 
Where was he when we faced all of that? Now, I think maybe we've gone too far on that level. I'm willing to cut John Mark some slack. I think what's going on is Paul wants to go back to that region. Now, this is just me. Paul wants to go back to that region, and John Mark was not part of the team when they were ministering in that region. So where's his credibility? Where's the effectiveness for this individual? Maybe that's what he was thinking. Maybe he's thinking strategically. Why would I say that? Because look at what happens ultimately. Paul goes that direction and goes up into those churches of Asia Minor, right? Where does Barnabas go? He goes to Crete, which was his home area, which is where they started, which is where John Mark was part of the team. Makes sense, doesn't it? Now, do I know that's why it broke the way that... No, I don't. But what we can take from this is it became an insurmountable problem. They had to agree to disagree. The ministry of the church creates both great accomplishments and obstructions. The ministry of the church creates both great accomplishments and obstructions. How we deal with that is where we honor God or where we shame, where we shame the name of Christ. I don't believe that the name of Christ was shamed because of this disagreement. Did only one individual go out approved by the church? No. Both were sent. Both were sent. And both continued to do ministry. But what they did is they had to figure out what they would do to be effective when they could not come together. There was an insurmountable, impassable disagreement between them. And so they figured out a what? They figured out a, co a compromise. They collaborated. They cooperated. But the big problem that gets in the way of ministry is that, that very essence or ingredient that drives ministry, good ministry, and that's conviction. See, if the person that you're arguing with or that you're at loggerheads with has no conviction about their point of view, you're not going to have any problem, are you? It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. But if they have conviction about what they're doing, you ever met these people? This is the right way to do it. You're not doing it the right way. A lot of you would have tested on that Facebook test uh, uh, under a certain level. It always has to be the right way. And if it's not, if somebody doesn't do it the right way, they need to be gone. Well, I don't believe that that's what the Lord teaches. So, we have to agree to disagree. My question here is, how many of us in the room have been hurt by ministry? Because this is the real rub. This is where I get you this morning. Or many, many of us maybe take it outside of ministry and we just say, I've been hurt by Christians. Christians are supposed to be good. You're right, they are. But they're fallible. What do you do with that? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 has the answer. You know, we assign that hurt to bitterness and then we're rendered ineffective. What is the number one effort of Satan? It's to keep us from ever hearing the gospel. But if the gospel takes root and our lives are changed and we're a new creation, his next object is to keep us from growing in that faith. Easiest way to do it, let me offend you by the very thing that you, you, you believe in, you hold trust in. 
Let me offend you by that. And then you will no longer be involved. A damaged, bitter church. How can we answer this? 1 Corinthians 12 gives the answer. I'm just going to reference it. I'm not going to turn there. Paul talks about this in context of the fact that the body of Christ is very unique. The body of Christ is the church. So some of us are the feet. Yesterday we had a, 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 a great kind of ad hoc work day. Our, our staff freeze. I kid you not, the offices, when we get in the morning in winter, are 39 degrees. You would, you would file a complaint with the state of California if you had to work in our offices. Because there's these louvered windows at the top, and they let air in. So in the, in the summer, it's frying hot in there, and we've got all the AC cranking as fast as we can, and it's still hot. But in the winter, Lynn's got a parka on and gloves, and she's still kink, 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 right? And we've got four space heaters running. And it takes four hours just to get the room up to about 58. So finally, yesterday, we did the first step in sealing off all those areas. And I can tell you, I walked in, last night was supposed to be the coldest, you know, get your pets in, get your plants in, you know. Oh my goodness, there's not enough weather, so these weather people create a disaster, did you, <laughs> right? Did you, did you notice that we were all going to die from freezing last night? Uh, but it was cold, it wasn't the coldest, but it was cold. And yet I walked in my, those offices today and it felt great. So the hands and the feet were at work yesterday. Now my question is, Bruce is one of those, or, or Ramon was one of those. Ramon, you want to come up and, and take over for me? You want me to tag you in? Okay, probably not. Although I think he could do a good job. Ramon probably did. So I'm the mouth. My mom always told me I was the mouth. <laughs> I'm the mouth right? But if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, we're not equipping. If, if Ramon and Bruce and others are doing then we're freezing. You see, and then Paul's saying you are all uniquely designed. God has set you apart with certain gifts and abilities. And that's that pursuit of calling. You know what happens when you have an objective and you have a very creative person that God has wired this way and you have a very analytical person that's wired this way and they have to come together and do this project? Ministry is messy. This is why we have this problem. This is why we have this problem. Paul and Barnabas were very different, very differently uh, gifted in certain ways. And so they couldn't come to agreement. This is why we have this problem. So, so do we blame God? What, what do we do with this mess? So pastor, you're saying the scripture tells me that, that we're going to have this problem indefinitely until we get into glory. Yep, we are. But it's how God designed it. So somewhere in the mystery of all that, it's all supposed to fit somehow. It's all supposed to fit. How? Well, the last point today, God's work continues. Part of the problem, do any of you have a comfort dog? I'm probably not saying that right. Yeah, I mean, all of our dogs should be comfort dogs. You notice that you don't ever have a comfort cat <laughs> listed in these counseling things, right? Comfort dog, um, I'm not saying it right. You know what I mean, though, right? Ther therapy dog. That's what I'm looking for. Therapy dog. Companion service may be part of it as well. I don't really know. Um, my dog keeps me too much companionship. 
But, you know, we get into this thing of, of just, oh, I'm hurting. And yes, there are legitimate hurts, but, but part of the problem our society is facing today is any little brush up against my personality, my psyche, my self-esteem is cataclysmic. Brothers and sisters, what I share with those individuals is embrace it. Learn from it understand the reality that it's always going to be this way because we live in a sinful world. And then understanding that, embracing it, not letting that turn your heart unnecessarily. Now you figure out, what can I do to make it different? And that's what Paul and Barnabas did. There was a huge tension and a huge problem. They said, we're not going to let this derail God's work. So let's collaborate, let's compromise. Let's work together and find an answer. And they do. They do. Paul goes back to those areas that he was very, very involved in. Barnabas, and he takes Silas. He takes someone else with him. And Barnabas takes John Mark. And God's work goes forward. It can happen. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, For it is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do that part on your own. Work hard at it, right? Paul said, for this I toil. But then the second part of that is, for it is God that wills and works within you according to His purpose. When we do ministry, my friends, expect it to be messy. Stop tossing out, well, you know what? I just didn't fit real well. No, get in there and suffer. Right? Carly comes here once every month and she just suffers. It's horrible here. It's the worst. It's freezing cold when she gets in. I'll just go on and on. There's more than one way to accomplish what God is asking to get done. And he has diversified us, 1 Corinthians 12, so that we can get that much more done, right? And that's what Paul said. I'm going to take someone that matches with me, you know, Barnabas, you take someone that matches with you. You guys go this direction. We're going to go this direction. But we're all still doing the same work, aren't we? There's more than one way to put the ball in the container. And when it comes to an impasse, no matter how much Ron wanted to sink that shot, he just couldn't match me shot for shot. So he, did you see at the very end, he found a way. He got right here and slam dunked it, right? Last night, the slam dunk all-star contest. Let's wrap up by saying this. What do we do with all this? So we see what happened with Paul and Barnabas. How do we learn from it? Number one, embrace it. It's going to be messy. Number two, understand God has wired you to be a certain way. Get involved in ministry that matches that. Number two, agree to disagree when there's a problem. But pastor, how do we do that so that the work of God goes forward? Isn't it amazing that Paul addresses this after he talks about all the diversity in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have, <coughs> excuse me, pneumonia, then I can keep, no. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
How do we answer this problem of ministry being messy? How did Paul answer it? He answered it by being loving. He recognized that it would probably be best for he and Barnabas to separate. There's going to be mess. There's going to be mess. But when you approach that in love, you can work through it. Amen? When you approach it in love, rather than isolating yourself, focusing on your own hurts, you know, our theme this year, and you're going to hear a testimony in a moment about this, our theme is being strong and courageous. Remember, today when you walk away, the enemy, Satan, wants to hurt you. And one of the deepest wounds you can ever experience is being hurt by a fellow brother or sister in Christ or your pastor. Because you will be embittered against that and you will remove yourself from the community. What is it? Is it bad administration? Well, it might be. Is it that we didn't get out of church on time again? Yeah, it might be. Is it the pastor doesn't wear a tie? No, it's not that at all. <laughs> it always comes down to one thing. You can overlook a multitude of wrongs if there is what? Love. If there is love. That is the answer. Look at that scripture out of 2 Timothy. By the way, this is some of the last stuff Paul wrote. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me in ministry. You know, you may face a conflict here, but can you just set it before the throne of God? Find, thank you. Amen. Find a way to deal with that. Take it to the Lord. And look, at the end of Paul's ministry, when he is getting ready to be um, martyred, who does he ask for? The very person he denied to go on this trip. See God's work? I just implore you, don't let ministry get so messy that it discourages you against the Lord, it discourages you against the body. That has nothing to do. Except that it will be messy. And why will it be messy? We're wired differently. What's the answer to that? We see it right out of Scripture. It's love. It's love. Let me close this morning. And... Uh, as I do so, we're going to continue on in worship under these, these thoughts and, and thinking through this. I'm going to have you all stand up and greet one another, and we'll see who really loves each other. <laughs> I'm going to have you stand up and greet one another in a minute after I'm done praying. And then we'll hear a great testimony, and then we'll enter into worship. Let me pray over you. Because... We're talking in context of ministry today. Let me ask you, can you take what you heard from Scripture and apply it to your personal conflicts with other people? Your marriages, your children, your siblings, your parents, your work? Yeah, you can. Is it hard? Yeah, but if you're strong and courageous and you learn from these examples out of Scripture... And you embrace. Stop being shocked that there's hurt around you. Embrace it. Understand this is the world we live in. It's the world we live in. Let me pray over you. Father, I ask that each person that's here today, whatever they're carrying, that they hear the Scripture, they see the example of Paul and Barnabas and Mark. 
and they're inspired by how this was worked out. What seemed to be a conflict within the entire church was worked out through wisdom and through beseeching the Spirit. And then we see a personal conflict between a very tight and effective ministry team. How could that team break up? And yet you had your reasons, you had your designs. And in the end, we see that all things work together for good. For those that what? That love you. I pray over each person here today and whatever burden they carry or whatever scars they may have out of ministry. They let those go and they considered a privilege to suffer for you. That they look at the life of your son Jesus Christ and learn from that and ask for the strength just like we heard Paul say, it is your power working powerfully through us to be effective. Lord, I pray over each person here today that they get a true sense of your spirit and the ability to love in the face of really hard circumstances and the wisdom to know when to take a different direction based off of conviction that accomplishes your plan. Thank you, Father. To you be the glory. Amen.